It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Friday, October 9, 2020. I'm Meredith Reddick with Raven News. A cluster of COVID cases in Sitka in late September brought the community schools to the brink of closure. Things have since improved, and the district has stepped back from the possibility of fully remote education. But when another outbreak happens, Sitka's elementary school might remain open even if all other schools close. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The Sitka School District is prepared to offer remote education to all students. At the high school, in fact, it's become part of the routine, as half the student body attends in person on alternate days. But at Sitka's Baranoff Elementary School, as at other elementary schools around the country, online education is far more challenging. District Superintendent John Holst told the Sitka School Board at its last meeting on October 7th that most of the staff there would like to continue classes in the building, even if Sitka experiences another outbreak like the recent one. Last uh, Tuesday, when I sent out a message to the staff about noon uh, that you know we had had five cases in three days, and that trend certainly didn't look very good, so kind of alerted them that uh, we might be within you know maybe a, a day or two of notice that we might have to be going virtual. Well, the kindergarten teachers kind of got together that afternoon and went to see Jill and said, we would like to have the kids come in even if the rest of the district shuts down. Under its Smart Start plan, the Sitka School District would shift to remote learning when Sitka has widespread community transmission, defined as 12 or more cases in two weeks with frequent discrete outbreaks. The issue, according to Holst, is not that virtual education for kindergartners and first graders is inconvenient or hard. The issue is that it doesn't work very well, based on the mass experiment undertaken in Sitka and elsewhere when schools closed last spring and moved classes online. Holst said that teachers were concerned that very young students were not progressing in the virtual model, and may be irreparably harmed. That building is really a building of nothing but kindergartners because we missed three months last spring of kindergarten. And and I'm sure, and then you add to that the three months of the summer, and we all know in, uh, about the regression that takes place even during a normal summer, and so we had that six-month time. Holst told the board that he met with the teachers the day after they approached Baranoff Principal Jill LaCrone, and there was near consensus on the matter. To keep kinders and first graders in school if Sitka moved to a high-risk alert level wouldn't be a decision the district could make without the approval of the state. Board member Paul Ryu said that the Department of Education and Early Development was not saying no, not yet anyway. They've given us the green light to go forward and discuss a plan. It's not, we're not committing to anything, we're just discussing it. Ryu sat on the Baranoff Elementary Smart Start Committee, which was tasked over the summer with coming up with the education plan for young students. When the committee reported to the community in July, it leaned heavily on the idea of keeping students physically in class, more so than other buildings. This is committee member Kristen Hames back in July. Kindergartners and first graders benefit most when they have hands-on experiences and also when they have personal interactions with teachers and peers. So really from day one, our goal was to figure out 
how to make that happen and how to do it safely. Superintendent Holst said it would require additional mitigation measures if Baranoff remained open under a high-risk alert in Sitka. On top of everything being done now, attendance would be voluntary, parents would be responsible for transportation to and from school, and staff would increase their COVID testing to once a week. Holst said that there was a broad spectrum of possibilities between having a cluster of 12 to 15 cases in Sitka and a full lockdown like the one that City Hall recommended last spring. He thought the plan to keep Baranoff students in class could work as long as the district remained vigilant. We will pull the plug anytime we think it's not going to be safe for students and staff. That's got to be the top priority. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Sitka's mayor-elect Stephen Eisenweiss was unavailable for an interview shortly after his victory was announced on Wednesday night for a very Sitka reason. Actually, I was uh, I was getting ready to run some fuel out to uh, uh, some friends who had uh, run out of fuel on their boat. So uh, my, I guess my first uh, mayoral duty was uh, was a, a boat rescue. Eisenweiss has served two assembly terms. He defeated incumbent Gary Paxton by over 400 votes. To to be elected, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely an honor. It's uh, it's fulfilling. You know, I think that after after six years on the assembly, um, the the town is kind of known where I stand and and who I am. And uh, to to have that many people believe in you and your thoughts and your ideas, it's it's extremely humbling. So. I guess now it's just time to get to work and make sure that uh, that I don't let everyone down. Eisenbeis says he's excited for the next two years and believes the Assembly will be able to collaborate and be effective as it makes policy. Um, I believe we have an Assembly that is now going to have a diverse amount of opinions and thoughts, um, but is it going to be able to work together for the greater good? So I think uh, I think we have a lot of opportunity to move Sitka forward and to overcome the challenges that we're currently facing. He says he's thankful to voters for making it a record turnout year. Over 1,700 people voted early and absentee in this election, and around 1,600 turned up at the polls on Election Day. Unless there is further action by the courts, the counting in the U.S. Census is expected to end on October 31st. Meanwhile, the Census Bureau reports that almost all Alaskan households have been counted already. But the accuracy of that number is in question. KTOO's Matt Miller has the story. Andrew Smith says he's a big guy. Sometimes it would surprise people, but I would always make it a good experience Say hi, I'm the census guy. You know, make myself known in a in a very polite and respectful way. There were things he kept in mind when approaching people on their property: wear a safety vest, stand in the light, be aware, and quickly read the situation. If someone curses at you, you should just turn around. <laughs> you know, there was a couple rough characters that were just not interested, and you say, "Okay, have a good day. Thank you. Bye bye." Smith spent the summer as an enumerator or census taker in Palmer, Wasilla, and near Glen Allen. He would also do quality control follow-up by phone for Alaskans who already responded to the census. The nationwide census started in January in Tuksuk Bay, Alaska. Census takers went door-to-door in rural Alaska communities while the ice and snow made travel easier and before residents got busy in the spring with subsistence and construction. 
Then there was the self-response phase, where residents in larger Alaskan communities and cities were encouraged to go online, call, or mail in their own census form. The best response is a self-response because we want to make sure that the information comes from the person. Donald Benz, spokesman for the Census Bureau, says when it was safe, census takers went door-to-door again in Alaska to get data missing from the self-response phase, sometimes making multiple household visits. If we can't get a hold of someone at a household, we talk to a neighbor. It's called using a proxy, and that's a standard operating procedure. According to the Census Bureau, just over 54 percent of Alaskan households participated in the self-response phase, while just over 45 percent were counted by census takers. We are committed to getting 100 percent of the state counted, right now being at 99.8 percent. We still have 0.2 percent to be done. So we want to continue to encourage everyone who hasn't responded to the census to do so. But some people are questioning those figures. The total response rate of well over 99%, I think, is misleading. Terry Ann Lowenthal, former staff director of the U.S. House Census Oversight Subcommittee, says the percentage of completed housing units doesn't say anything about the accuracy, quality, and completeness of the census. There are people who live in group facilities, such as college dorms, nursing homes, and so forth. There are people experiencing homelessness, right, who are living at shelters or in outdoor locations. And then people in transitory locations, such as RV parks, single-room occupancy motels, and so forth. Lowenthal says those counts were delayed and disrupted by the pandemic. She also says there are problems using a proxy. Your neighbors or a landlord don't always know everything about your household, even everybody who lives there, if they're not supposed to be living there, let's say, and certainly may not know much about the demographic characteristics of the household members. In the 2010 census, Lowenthal says a proxy was used while counting almost a quarter of all households. Census data is what's used to divide up the seats in the U.S. House of Representatives It's used in state redistricting, and it also determines where about $1.5 trillion in federal funding will be spent. Jacqueline Peta, CEO of Clinkett Haida Regional Housing Authority, says that data is crucial in funding for things like tribal housing and transportation. In fact, it has been calculated that about $41,000 would come to your community if a household, a typical household, fills out their census form And that's critical money. For now, the count goes on. And the Trump administration has put an end-of-year deadline on reporting the data. PETA doesn't think that's enough time for the necessary quality control and double-checking the data. And she worries that some Alaskans won't be counted properly. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Matt Miller. Finally this morning, a correction. We mispronounced the name of one of the candidates running for Cake City Council in a story Wednesday. His name is Henrich Kadake Sr. Our sincere apologies to Council Member Kadake. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News. <laughs>